The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to another edition of the Palpably Unfair Podcast. My name is Kyle Posey. I am joined by Kate Magic, as always. Today, we have a special guest, Emery Hunt, who writes for 74 different websites. Emery, what's going on? Tell the people what you really do. <laughs> what's going on, guys? Glad to be on the show. I'm, I'm a football analyst, I like to say. I, I run and operate footballgameplan.com, uh, the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash footballgameplan. I'm also an analyst on CBS Sports HQ, so you can see me on there doing NFL and college football analysis. Uh, and I'm also a college football color commentator. So um, I did some games in the spring, and I'm glad we're going to be back to normal in the fall because I'll be all over the place once again. Which of those jobs do you enjoy doing the most? All of them because they all involve football. And I- I'll tell you this, in all seriousness, I do miss being out on the road, and I do miss going to uh, some of these games because the food spread at some of these places is phenomenal. Uh, I, I know I do games at Morgan State, and as soon as we, uh, as soon as halftime hit, you have about a, you know, the good thing about HBCU halftimes, you got an extended halftime. Yes. So you got about a good 15, 20 minutes. And so my, my play-by-play guy always say, hey, you want to do highlights? By the time he even finished, I'm already on the elevated downstairs in the uh, uh, cafeteria getting the, the, the halftime meal, which is usually – something remarkable that'll put you to sleep uh, for the second <laughs> half. But I just miss being out there uh, and miss being amongst the fans and amongst the staff. The whole lead up to a game day is just excellent. But I do like the in-studio stuff I do with CBS Sports HQ. Um, that's cool to be able to you know go from the broadcast booth to the studio as a panelist and doing highlights and doing analysis like that. All of it is fun because it challenges you differently. And I just like being uh, I don't like doing one thing over and over and over. So me having multiple things to do is it, pretty cool. HBCU, the bands and the food that you, people go to those games for the halftime. There's no doubt about it. So no doubt about it. And people clown you all the time. Like, um, you know, don't make a mistake on somebody's name. Uh, <laughs> that parent will find you yes. and they will remind you that you called my son. Well, I'm like, man, you could have you know made it easy for me. John Smith was always out there like. You know, should have picked that one. You know what I'm saying? It's, I look at the game. I look at the roster pre, uh, like on a Friday. If, you know, usually if I'm in Baltimore or D.C. or something, I get in the night before. And so I'm studying the roster. And I'm just like, 
man, I hope this dude don't play because there's no way in hell I'm going to say this dude's name. I'm going to butcher it. Um, and lo and behold, dude gets in and makes like all the plays. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I got to really say this thing phonetically uh, just so I, I don't mess it up. But the fans are, are always fun, man, especially at certain venues because of how close you are to the fans in the press box. It looks For like our few, first few podcasts, I'm pretty sure that Kyle wrote my last name out phonetically, <laughs> uh, and he still got it wrong. So I, I totally <laughs> feel the pain that all of these these football players are feeling, except without the the impact of a 300 pound like defensive lineman or something like that just hitting me in the face. So I don't have to deal with that, and I'm lucky. I'll take the the name problems any day. Magic, magic. Mad. It took you. It took you a good while. Uh, my maiden name was Lowry. So easy. What? Why uh, did you do that to me? What is? I don't point? know. It, it, that's for another show. It's it, it's <laughs> a long story, but you know what? It. I will say it. It definitely. It's a name that pops off of the page. So I. I, I don't mind it so much, but I mean, even Siri, she can't. She can't figure it out. I've I've literally sat down with my Siri device and I'm like, Majuk, Majuk. And uh, I still get Magziok. So, yes, fine. <laughs> that would have been my guess. Uh, <laughs> I, I did a game. I did a game at um at Bloomsburg uh, University. This was, I think, three years ago. And they were playing Kutztown. And I'm, I'm saying it that way because that's how it's pronounced. But when you look at the doggone word, it's spelled K-U-T-Z town. Right. So. Easily, you're going to say Cutstown. So I spent all week saying, all right, it's Cutstown, it's Cutstown, it's Cutstown. Naturally, I get to the game, kickoff, Cutstown. Never and I want to say probably about the third play of the game, the SID from Cutstown came in and slid a note on my side uh, and was like, it's, it's Cutstown. It's Cutstown like foots. And I'm like, you know what? Y'all about to be the Golden Bears the rest of the game. I'm just going to call y'all the Golden Bears. Make it simple for me. So it's funny because people will let you know, man. Don't mess anything up. Oh, man. Well, enough of the travel talk. We are here to talk running backs, the rookie running back class from 2021. Emory is our resident running back expert. So we're going to talk about the surprises of the draft, some shiners, some stinkers, and some of the best fits, as well as late bloomers. So Let's start with the surprises. Um, Kate, why don't you handle that? Because you have one of your love <laughs> <laughs> love fest running back crushes uh, that lives to fight another day. He does live uh, for another down, and he's going to have a fantastic breakout season. And, of course, I am talking about none other than the Buffalo Bills running back, Zach Moss. Everybody was mocking uh, I, by everybody. I think I mean Peter Schrager was mocking Travis Etienne to the Buffalo Bills. Everybody said there's no way they don't draft a running back in the first. And guess what? They didn't leave the the draft with a single running back. They did not draft a single running back. Uh, they they focused on defense, uh, addressed the offensive line a little bit, and they they really just didn't seem any uh, bit of concern for their offense and what they have with Zach Moss and Devin Singletary. I think they are a good one-two punch. Uh, I'm I'm waiting for the breakout season, but I I needed to throw that in there because they they survived. They survived the potential massacre that could have been with this particular draft class. Emory, did you think the Bills needed to add a running back? Were you expecting them to add a running back entering the draft? It was interesting about Buffalo. I said this pre-draft was that when you look at the Bills and they're too deep. 
they were like the Browns or like a couple other teams that I feel like there was no spot for draft picks. Like, man, they were really talented on the two deep. Um, but if they were going to take a player and someone like Etienne was there, he made the most sense, you know, for, for Buffalo. They just need someone that uh, can really hit the home run. Uh, you know, for me, when you look at Singletary, he's an elusive one. Zach Moss is, is, is someone that can be a, a foundation guy, but he, he tends to, um, you know, love contact. And, and that won't help you stay on the field long, uh, at you know, in the pros. And so I think they needed someone else. But if you're going to work both guys in there in, you know, in conjunction with Josh Allen's ability to be a runner, um, then, yeah, I can understand not going back. But, you know, both guys really this is I would say is a, a huge year for both guys um, in deciding who's going to step up and take the reins and take over, because I think that's one element of their offense that they're they're missing. Passing game is solid. Uh, offensive line has done a good job. Allen, we know, can scramble and create plays. Defensively, they're they're good on at all three levels. Uh, but running back is probably the one area uh, where I always hone in on and say, you know what, they probably need another guy. It doesn't have to be an, an Etienne. So, again, because they're so talented, they didn't really have to go first round. But I thought somewhere along in the draft, especially when we saw some good backs go undrafted, I thought Buffalo probably could have grabbed at least one to add to the mix. The Dolphins are another team that's probably going to fight for a playoff spot, and they neglected to add a running back until the seventh round at least. So you have Miles Gaskin, you have Malcolm Brown, who I do like, and then you have Jared Dokes out of Cincinnati, and then there's you know George Scarlett, Salvin Ahmed, and Patrick Laird. But those names aren't really going to move you. So were you surprised that the Dolphins didn't you know add some help for Tua? More playmakers, I should say. Very surprised. And it was funny um, because – I learned a long time ago, you can't argue with fans, right? Um, and I just fully expected Miami was going to be just like Pittsburgh and be that one sweet spot with their second first round pick to take it back, whether it was Najee Harris or Travis Etienne or my personal favorite, Michael Carter. And so I was like, all right, they're going to get it back. And this offense is going to be ridiculous, uh, which it already looks to be ridiculous from a receiver standpoint because they have a, a four by one team. Uh, out there on the perimeter. but and, and so they didn't go running back. And so I'm thinking, all right, maybe they'll grab somebody. And Michael Carter lasted until the fourth round. So maybe they grabbed someone undrafted free agent. They really didn't get anybody. They got dokes. And so I, I, I put out a draft grade video on, on our YouTube channel. And I said, you know, the Dolphins had an A draft. But the reason why I'm giving it a B plus, they didn't take a running back um, early, one that's an impact player. And instantly the comments, well, from a fan you know we got we got jared dokes um i was like okay. you know his, all right <laughs> shout out to his family you know he got drafted <laughs> <laughs> and then um fun fact you know, that actually was jared dokes's uh family member that, right. that reached Probably out that, right. that was the complaint there like he could be he could be i forgot what guy he comped him to be he could be that guy for us like an underrated sleeper in the seventh round and i'm like all right um and then he commented back later. I was like, well, Michael Carter was there. You could have got Michael Carter. He said, oh, well, no, we already – Miles Gaskin and Michael Carter are basically the same player. I'm wow. like, you know what, man? Let me log off the internet. <laughs> I'm not about to go back and forth with you. Clearly, uh, you, you you have a type. But them not getting a running back and then allowing the Jets to go ahead and get that running back, uh, I think that is going to be the biggest question. I told the guy, the fan, I was like, well, listen, when it's week six or seven and you're saying to yourself, damn, we really need a running back. 
well, you had an opportunity to get one. And like you said, Malcolm Brown's a solid back. Should be probably their pace setter. And everyone else just builds around that. But they got Matt Breida last year. They barely used him. Right. You know, and, and so it's, you wonder um, how they're going to incorporate the run game this year because Tua is not a runner. Um, and he's more of a scrambler. But even that in and of itself is not what you want to, to be your run game. So I think they'd still need uh, help in the backfield. They actually had just some absolutely stunning usage for Miles Gaskin last season. In his eight games as a starter, he av- or he was on pace for six, uh, 252 rushing attempts, on pace for 62 receptions over, over a 16-game season, which, I mean, that is really heavy usage when you consider the fact that he spent uh, four games on IR, two games on the COVID list. Uh, whenever he was available to them, they utilized him as a workhorse. I just find that fascinating because he wasn't a very efficient runner, um, averaging just 3.9 yards per attempt. They, they just had such room for an upgrade and, and it was disappointing. Fantasy football managers should be happy though. Cause I, Miles Gaskin, I think will be one of the better values of the draft and he could be in, in for a decent touch volume. So that's high usage for Christian McCaffrey, let alone Miles Gaskin. So that's, yeah, I don't know what they see in him because you can get that type of production from, honestly, anybody else available. So let me throw this out. Do you think that the Dolphins might be using like a Lynn Bowden or a Jakeem Grant as is a guy that will be their change of pace guy? Because when you talk about Brita, he had a fumble and then last year, and then pretty much after that, they just shut it down. So maybe they're... You know, they have their guys on a short lease, but that would be my one maybe devil's advocate hope for the Dolphins is they're, they're trying to get their speedy guys as receivers, maybe as extensions of screens or RPOs or that sort of thing. What do you think about that, Emily? Makes sense, especially when you think about Jalen Waddle. Um, and you and I love the comp you threw out there, Rocket Ishmael, because that's someone that when you go back and watch him at Notre Dame, he was a tailback. He was a slot guy. They got him involved, uh, you know, behind Bettis at times, you know, as a, as a you know, eye back. Um, and yeah, they're probably going to be big on the wide receiver run game. Bowden, uh, Bowden, Grant, uh, Waddle, those guys can tote the rock. They can carry the football. Um, and they give you a little bit more, you know, explosiveness. That's the one thing that's, that's lacking, in my opinion, from Miami's backfield. No one that truly threatens you. And what folks don't understand, the, the running back don't matter, folks don't get, um, is that when you have someone that's a legit threat or a game breaker in the backfield, it changes everything. It changes how you defend them. It changes how you approach the run game because one false step or one misfit or whatever could lead to a 40-yard gain. And that's just the you know uh, demoralizing to the defense. It's not about you know getting somebody back there and handing them the football 40 times. It's about having someone that you don't want touching the football. You know, if you got Gaskin back there and no disrespect to him, but yeah, give the ball to Gaskin all day. That way we don't have to worry about covering, you know, uh you know, those speedy receivers, Will Fuller, uh, Waddle, and all those guys out there on the perimeter. Uh, but if you have a threat, in addition to what you got on the perimeter, offense is going to be uh, very difficult to defend in Miami. But right now, I still feel as though they're, they're playing one-handed uh, because they don't have that true threat in the backfield. Yeah, hand the ball off to Miles Gaskin so I don't have to guard Devontae Parker. Please do that. <laughs> all right, let's talk about the Shiners because this is a – very deep running back class. And there's going to be some guys that are going to have an opportunity to make a name for themselves early on. We have to start with the top dog, the number one guy, Najee Harris. Kate, what do you got? 
I'm obsessed with Najee Harris. I love the landing spot. And it's something that as a, as a Steelers fan, I was a little bit ambivalent about. Obviously, there's other needs with the offensive line. But I just think Najee Harris is such a difference maker that the more you see uh, come out about Najee Harris and the way they plan to utilize him, um, he's he's just an instant impact player. And I do think that uh, he's one of these teams that he, he you know what, you can have your, your holes on offensive line, but Najee Harris is still going to make a difference. He's totaled 50 touchdowns over his last two seasons. And this is a team that loves to utilize a workhorse running back. Uh, if you if you're worried about you know Ben Roethlisberger's arm, you want him to throw short. That's perfect. Najee Harris is a an excellent pass catcher, uh, a bit underrated there. But um, fantasy managers, uh, you know everybody's fading for the offensive line. I mean, this guy is is a clear cut uh, mid to late first round pick for me in redraft leagues in 2021. I think he's going to touch the ball at the very least 300 times in his rookie season. Yes, that would be lovely, but he deserves that. And I think he's one of the better running backs that I've seen come out of the NFL draft in the past couple of years because he can do it all. So he's what, like around 230 pounds, but he doesn't run like a 230 pounder. You're not going to see guys get square shots on Najee Harris. He's not going to, uh, or he is going to make you miss. He has just incredible vision. The other last week I was watching, the bowl game between Alabama and Michigan in 2019. And we're talking all the four first-round wide receivers. Uh, Mac Jones was on the field. And the Michigan's defense had some stars on their side of the ball as well. And Najee Harris was the best player on the field. And it wasn't particularly close. He can really do it all. Um, I, I, I really don't have any bad things to say. Obviously, you, there's a lot of talk about whether you draft a running back in the first round or not. If a team took Najee Harris in the top 15, I would just shrug my shoulders like, yeah, that makes sense because he seriously is that good and provides that much value to your offense. He doesn't have to come off the field. And when you talk about running backs and receivers or just a receiving running back, a lot of times guys get a, a good rap for being a pass catcher, but they're just catching just screens and swings out of the backfield. Najee Harris is running like wheel routes down the field and catching the ball away from his body and making these twists and turns in the air. He He's a special runner, man. And the Steelers, I think they, they got lucky that he fell, fell to them. And you know, they're a benefit, obviously, because the how people think about running backs. But, uh, uh, Emery, what's your take on Najee Harris, and how do you like his fit with the Steelers? Now, you both, both of you guys just nailed it, uh, with the with the commentary. Uh, for for me, it's like I, I joked about this, but it's, it feels like it's true. You know, Pittsburgh probably fills out their draft card before the draft and just hands it in because they know the guys that they like will end up being on their roster, right? Like Najee Harris, you know, I did a lot of recruiting out in Western PA, you know, from Greensburg to Latrobe to Blairsville to Pittsburgh. And he looks like he just is fit for that that area. Like you could see him working at UPS and then, you know, on Sunday he playing for the Steelers and then go back to UPS on Monday. Right. <laughs> That's he just fits that city, that 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 team, that mold. Um, and you guys are right. He has the vision. He works front side to back side. His feet and eyes are always in unison. And people brought up the offensive line. Well, they should have went off his line. You know, he's going to try to run behind a, this this bad offensive line. Good running backs with great vision supersede average offensive line play. You know, because you serve as your own blocker. And that's Najee Harris. And so I have no qualms about their offensive line or them taking him. You take game breakers in the first round. If, you're, if I tell you to break down a draft, 
and you have an opportunity to get one of 32 of the best players in the draft, Najee Harris would be one of those 32. So definitely you take him in the first round. You don't take average players in the first round. And so for him and going to Pittsburgh, because I comped him to Le'Veon Bell, because he does a lot of the same things, and I'm glad you brought up the receiving part of it, Kyle, because that's something that I try to stress to people. You know, when we say catch the football in the backfield, is like a, a you know a corporate job meets expectations is screens, flares, flats, and swings. You're supposed to do that, right? But when you line up and go downfield and run routes and able to catch the ball away from your body, over your shoulder, make guys miss in space, work yourself open versus zone, and work yourself back toward the quarterback in a scramble drill situation, then you are a receiving threat down the field. And that's Najee Harris all day. The reason that I believe Najee will be Harris or Najee Harris will be successful, even for me to say. Um, the, well, there are a lot of traits that he has that I like, but running backs, for whatever reason, struggle to pick their feet up as they clear the line of scrimmage. And Najee, even for like NFL running backs, I would say he's top five that I've al- almost seen in the past decade of just picking his feet up, uh, not being tackled by the ankles and just not not going down on first contact. I love that he makes the first guy miss, but. It sounds simple. Just being able to pick your feet up as you clear the line of scrimmage makes a big difference. That'll be the difference of him gaining two to three as opposed to four and six. So let's move on to another guy that you actually just talked about. You really like. I love him. Michael Carter. I love his fit that he went to the Jets. Um, He, to me, seems like Duke Johnson 2.0. He's just unreal how elusive he is. He's a modern day receiver. You mentioned before we logged on here, before you started that. He doesn't – his jersey's always clean. You don't see guys tackle him, man. It's pretty impressive how he just never goes down in the open field. And you have to imagine in an offense like the Jets where you think they're going to be spread out a little bit more than usual, uh, they, he can, they can use him in space. And Michael Carter has a chance to be, um, honestly, offensive rookie of the year with the touches that he's going to get. Uh, what are your thoughts on Michael Carter? I love the fit. and He reminds me a lot of Daryl Henderson. They both have that, that bow-legged, quick – elusive herky-jerky style but it works for them uh henderson may be a bit more explosive but carter is just as dynamic as henderson in in that regard and people ask always they they love to ask me about what do you think his size can hold up well you know you can't hit what you can't catch you can't hurt what you can't touch someone like that good luck trying to get a hand on him and good luck trying to tackle him when you're that short and stout you don't knock someone over you knock them to the side um, and, and it's interesting because when you see someone going into this outside zone scheme, um, the vision and footwork to be able to work front side to back side, like I like to say, I mean, the world is you know, your oyster because you can then see things three to four frames ahead and get yourself in position. And when you watch him run, juxtapose his teammate Javante Williams, he makes the game look so easy as far as a running back is concerned because he's seen it, you know, you know, two to three steps ahead and able to get there. A lot of times your feet and your athleticism, your eyes are not on the same page. So you may see the cutback, but you know, there's no way I'm going to get back, you know, backside, but he can do it and make guys miss. And he has been productive. You know, every time, you know, if I'm breaking down a defensive player, um, I try to find the best possible matchup the best uh, offense they've gone against to see how they go, you know. So I found myself watching a lot of, you know, versus UNC. Right. And this goes back to 2018. And it's like, man, this dude, number eight, just constantly makes a play every game. And when you factor in 
his ability as a runner with his elusiveness and his vision and his burst combined with a, a, a plus one in the run game in Zach Wilson, who has some mobility. So if you, you know, are not playing the, you know, respectively the, the run, you know, the quarterback boot and he gets out the door, he can, he can make some plays happen. So now the running backs have these advantageous boxes that they're running against. And this dude, I, I just see him just being a plug and play guy with the Jets offense. I think, like you say, he could be rookie of the year. I definitely see him going over 1,200 yards rushing with a healthy five and a half yards of carry easily. Yes, that is high, high praise. So um, they didn't split him out a lot, but I can see the Jets also lining him up in the slot just because he is that comfortable working out in space. Um, where do you think he will end up in the fantasy world, Kate? And do you think he's going to end up being a steal? I think he definitely has the potential. I mean, like, let's look at the the pathway towards success in uh, fantasy football for a running back that you, you have to follow the the, you know, potential availability of touches. And there are so many touches up for grabs in this offense. And you know what? I, I think we are going to get a steal because Javante Williams really stole the show. I have to imagine that if those two were not side by side within the same offense, we would be a lot more hyped on Michael Carter because, I mean, Javante Williams, he was the guy that walked away with the touchdowns. Uh, we had Michael Carter, 16 touchdowns over the last two seasons. We had Javante Williams with 28. So it, when you look at their yardage, uh, like yard for yard, they're they're pretty comparable. Uh, you know, Javante Williams, he's uh, uh, definitely the bigger back. But like you said, if you if you can't get caught, if you can't be touched, the the weight's not so much an issue. But I mean, the the pathway to a pretty decently sized workload is so clear because he's for me easily the best running back on that roster. No competition. Yeah. Like, I'm not sure who is going to beat him out on the Jets roster. So he he should have a fine career there. So let's talk about some fits before we talk about some stinkers. Um, the best fits, and I'll just name them off, and you can tell me who stands out to you guys. So uh, Trey Sermon, 49ers, obviously outside zone fit. Uh, Jamar Jefferson on the Lions is a sneaky one. And the rest of these guys, by the way, are going to be day three guys. So uh, Jamar Jefferson was a guy that I watched who – I don't want to say he reminded me of Alfred Morris, but he reminded me of Alfred Morris in a sense where um, just the way the zone style and he's always getting yards. He's always, always, always getting yards. And if he's getting yards like that in college in the fashion that he did, um, that's probably not going to change the NFL. So I like him with the Lions. And then the rest of the guys are, are the, these next two players are more. Um, I, I don't want to call them third down guys because I think they're better than that, but they just add a speed dynamic that both of these teams could use. So Javion Hawkins on the Falcons and Puka Williams on the Bengals, I think have an opportunity to make a name for themselves. And then my last guy would be Khalil Herbert on the Bears. Uh, who stands out there that I just mentioned, Emery? Um, Puka Williams, Bengals, because uh, he's a one-to-one -one, uh, for what they had in Gio Bernard. And it's funny because when you watch Puka Williams play, you you watch him run in between the tackles. You watch him just, you know, plant his foot in the ground and explode and accelerate. You don't think that he's 175 toting that rock like that, you know. And so uh, he also has return value. And that's one way he's going to get on the field. And he does great things with the ball in his hands, which will then make the coaches, some some coaches need that to realize, oh, wow, we well, might as well get him some more carries because he's doing great things as a returner. Uh, so he's going to find a way on that offense and really have a productive, I believe, rookie season. And what's interesting about him is when you watch him do all the things 
that he did in Kansas, being the number one guy, knowing that he was the target, keeping Khalil Herbert, you know, running sidecar to him in that offense and watching him doing all those dynamic things, then realizing that on one of his feet, he only has he has no toes. And so it makes you wonder, like, how is this dude doing this? And that just makes his highlights in this film that much more impressive. It was a childhood accident. Uh, lawnmower cut off all five of his toes on one of his feet. And um, and the coach saw him stuffing, uh, you know, extra socks in one of his cleats and asked him why he was doing that. And he told him. But so now you now you realize that in watching him play, that dude's special, man. And, um, you know, I'm excited to see him go out there and play. And I also feel like Herbert has a pathway to the field for Chicago because he has explosiveness. Um, and he has the, the ability to be a chunk playmaker in that offense, running sidecar to Justin Herb, uh, Justin Fields. Um, because I know people look at Montgomery and they talk about the elusiveness rating and the missed tackles and all that. He averaged three something yards of carry in the pros and four point something yards of carry in college football in the 2000s. Where, yeah, if this was 96, 4.7 is phenomenal. But now, where everybody's averaging over five yards of carry in a spread offense, running these outside zone, 4.7 is not cutting it. And I think that's why you saw the Bears invest in that position, bringing in Damian Williams. They get Tariq Cohen back healthy, and he went ahead and drafted, uh, you know, Herbert out of Virginia Tech and signed CJ Marable from Coastal Carolina. Uh, another one-cut slasher with explosive speed similar to that of Puka Williams. So the Bears are in the market for an upgrade at at the position. And I think Herbert has a chance. But Puka Williams, to me, I think is a one-to-one of Gio Bernard. Yeah, it seemed like Herbert had a 50-yard run every game that he played. And, again, if he did that in college and he's going to have Justin Fields and Allen Robinson with him on the field, that's probably not going to be any different on the next level. So I want to just touch on Puka Williams real quick. He actually bro- had – a higher broken tackle percentage per 100 touches than essentially every running back that we've talked about. So you, you talk about him being 175 pounds. That doesn't matter. It really does not. And then his usage, knowing how the Bengals do, they like to spread everybody out, you know, five-man protection, empty it out. He split out essentially more than every running back too. So he's comfortable, again, catching the ball, making plays in space. I'm really excited to see how they use him and just what he's able to bring to the Bengals because that offense has a chance to be sneaky fun. Uh, Late bloomers, you have somebody that you like, Kate. I do. I want to talk about Larry Roundtree. We This is like an ongoing theme here, Khalil Herbert, pathway to touches. And I, Larry Roundtree is a guy that um, I play in a lot of dynasty fantasy football leagues. I'm having all my rookie drafts. This is a guy I'm grabbing in the fifth round of a of a rookie draft. And I don't know if you guys have have experienced rookie drafts, but in the fifth round, it is bare, bare bones. And I think Larry Roundtree is a guy that could easily uh, make an impact year one. We're looking at an offense in the the Chargers that, aside from Austin Eckler, I don't think they've really found their guy. Uh, they, they didn't see a lot of success with uh, Joshua Kelly last season. I thought for a second he might be a thing. Um, but I do think they need to find a better complement for Austin Eckler. I think that he can easily fill a role for, um, you know, maybe not maybe not a, a full workload like we want to see uh, our stud running backs, you know, handle for fantasy football. But I could easily picture him uh, touching the ball 200 times in this offense and being utilized uh, around the goal line a little bit because he is one of, uh, I know we we talk about size he's 5'11 uh 211 pounds that's that's 
you know, that's some nice meat on the bones to work around the goal line uh, in comparison to what they, they have on the roster. I think he could have a shot to uh, be a sneaky play in fantasy football leagues. Roundtree actually, he had a decade career at Missouri. It felt like he was there forever. (laughs) Um, And, you know, Kyle talked earlier about guys that just don't lose yards. You never saw Roundtree lose yards at at, at Missouri. And it's him, if, if he could stay healthy, and that's the, the caveat with him, just having that clean bill of health definitely puts him in ahead. Because you're right, all those guys they have on a roster out there in, in L.A., uh, for me, are complimentary guys. And Roundtree could step above and be, you know, the foundational guy to get things rolling. And then you could throw in, you know, Eckler and everybody else that they have out there. They wanted it to be Justin Jackson, but again, injuries just kept knocking him, you know, off the off the spot. So I think Roundtree, you're right, he has a really good chance uh, with L.A. All right. Enough positivity. This is the <laughs> I'll Be Unfair podcast, and we have to talk about some stinkers. And these two are actually pretty popular that I wrote down. And feel free if you two have any others that you want to add. But Travis Etienne played at Clemson, had all the stats in the world. Um, I just don't see it. I struggle to see it, is, I guess is what I should say. So to me, he is a two-down back. And today, a two-down back is a one-down back. If you cannot pass protect, you cannot play, and he is arguably one of the worst pass protectors that I have seen. When we talk about meets expectations as far as running or being a receiver, I don't think that he's as comfortable as some of the other running backs, you know, catching the ball out of the backfield. And yes, he has the home run speed, and yes, he might be able to break an arm tackle here and there, but I just don't see him transitioning as effortlessly, seamlessly as some of the other running backs would to the next level. What is your take on Etienne? To me, he's a screen guy only. So, Whoa. What, wor- what worries me about Etienne is, you know, he has a little bit of that Justin Fargus syndrome in him. Like, uh, like, bro, you, you can't just crash into everybody, man. You got to make somebody miss, man. Like, I know you want to show folks out there you're tough, that you ain't no punk, but make the dude miss and don't just run into – there's no 18- and 19-year-old linebackers out there anymore. These are legit grown men. And they're going to knock the numbers off the back of your jersey. So you got to learn how to make people miss. I also feel like his patience needs to develop a little bit more. He's a little bit too fast to the hole. Um, and, you know, you know, slow to, fast through is how you want to be. And that's not what Etienne is. So he doesn't allow some things to develop in conjunction to him, you know, running into defenders like crazy. Uh, that's something that's going to get him banged up. And also when you add the, the blitz pickup thing, Running backs just have to get over it, and you know you have to really. Nobody's gonna you know laugh at you if you get run over, you know, right? If in pass pro, just just get in the way, you know. Don't be afraid to get in the way, and just make it simple for you. Take a half a man and just wash him to wherever his momentum is going. Um, and so he has to get better in that regard, but also the vision, patience. Um, you know, that's where I think he has to really improve. That's why he's my number three back, and not you know ahead of Michael Carter or ahead of uh, Najee Harris. It's just that those things are something that you really have to work on and work to develop. And I don't even think Jacksonville's offense will be built for him to to work on those things based off how I'm thinking they're going to try to run things offensively. I believe a report came out that he's working in the slot and he's doing some receiver things. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that works out. Kate, do you think he's going to be overdrafted or where is he going in the fantasy world? I think he is going to be a little overdrafted. And I think, you know, part of that is going to be the hype of him working as a receiver. Uh, I think that's been sort of the theme of 
the reports as of late, everybody wants to talk about how he's going to be utilized in the receiving game. That was a big part of his game in college. But my concern is the fact that we saw Travis Etienne be as productive as he was in a very productive offense. I don't think Jacksonville is going to come out year one under Trevor Lawrence, uh, even if he is the the you know the next coming. I, I don't think that they're going to just come out of the gate full throttle and be a, a Clemson type offense. I don't think they're they're built for that just yet. And I think so much of his production came from the fact that they were in a, a very productive offense. He was very efficient. I just don't think that's going to necessarily carry over into Jacksonville. I think James Robinson is clearly going to still get some work in. I don't I don't know that Carlos Hyde is going to be the threat that uh, we we've heard he might be, but he I, I just I don't know that the touch volume is going to be significant enough, and I don't know that he'll be efficient enough for uh, where he's he's going to be drafted. Which with the the rookie hype, we always want to take these guys early. I have to imagine that you know by the time redraft comes around, he might be going in the third round, which I think is crazy. Yeah, it seems like the Jags got a little bit a t- little bit of tunnel vision there. When uh when they saw another Clemson guy available, a slow two fast through would be tattooed on every running backs coach. Um, if you were to come up with a one liner for every position coach, that would be the phrase for a running back coach. That's funny you brought that up. So the the last guy uh, that I had is a guy that we've talked about. So Javante Williams, um, as you mentioned, scored a ton of touchdowns, had plenty of production. The issue is he was listed at two thirty at his pro day. He weighed two twelve. That type of running style, so he seems like the guy that wants to be Marion Barber, that's not going to last in the NFL. As we've seen time and time again, you cannot run into somebody full speed and expect you know your body to hang on. And it's not going to work. So in this scenario, um, that is a guy that I, I just really struggled to project to the NFL because you watch Michael Carter, he runs the ball, makes the guy miss, gets yards. Uh, Williams, he'll run the ball, he'll run you over, but that's in college, and just does, it doesn't seem sustainable to me. So um, I am not high on him at all. I just I have some big reservations. He is going to a very good offense, to be fair, and I think Denver is very underrated as far as the weapons they have around him. So that may help him, but I mean, three three years from now, I just don't know what he's going to be. Uh, what do you think about Javante Williams? And is he an upgrade over a Melvin Gordon? I don't think so, man. And I don't think he, I, I think he's right on par with Royce Freeman, you know? And the thing is, when you think about uh, everything that you just talked about, and that's why I get so frustrated when uh, we, we are now in the highlight clip generation of, of, you know, social media, where if you have one viral clip, that's your scouting report and people don't move off that. So you see the run, against Miami where he crashes into a bunch of people. He goes straight, earn his binder, and just runs through this guy. And, you know, then he Herschel Walker's this guy and Kevin Max this guy. I know that's older than, than you two. Uh, so, <laughs> hey, yo, old heads will know the references, right? But um, but for him, and you, so everybody's, oh, you see the game against Miami. Like, bro, Michael Carter had the same amount of yards with no tackles and, you know, uh, even bigger yards per carry average. Like, Show those because that is something that's transferable uh, to the to the next level. Now, Williams, to me, is uh, some people said Nick Chubb, but Nick Chubb, one is about 225, 230 and runs a legit four, four, you know, in the 40 and has ridiculous explosiveness. And the thing about 
Chubb that was, you know, the, the, the difference that people don't know about or just didn't want to discuss. The questions were about him coming back healthy from that gruesome knee injury. Was he going to regain that level of explosiveness that he had as a freshman and sophomore? He did. And that's why we see what we see from him. That's not Javante Williams. You know, Williams is more uh, like you talked about. You know, he's more of a different type of back. He's 212. I think he's more Royce Freeman uh, than anything. I don't think he's better than Melvin Gordon. Um, so, and he's, again, he's going to a crowded backfield where you have to be better than those guys that we just talked about. And I just don't see that being the case. There's no knock on him. He was my number 10 running back in this class. So for me, you know, I had a bunch of guys ahead of him because of that ability to make people miss. And I want to overstate the ability to make somebody miss, but that is huge. In today's NFL, because number one, you're not going to get the volume that you got in the 90s where you're going to get 25 carries a game. That will never happen. You better be able to make things happen without volume. And if you can't make people miss, that's going to be very hard to do. That Nick Chubb comment just frustrated the hell out of me for <laughs> numerous reasons. Uh, one, namely, he was like the best running back in the country coming out of high school. There was no projections with him at all. Uh, he was a track star and not like a long distance guy. He was running hundreds and he was winning hundreds. So, with those muscles. Yeah, yeah. And he was huge. <laughs> I'm sure you guys have seen the pictures of him floating around where he's like jumped up in the air. Like He's like a super athlete, man. And uh, whenever I want to compare a rookie running back, let's compare him to one of the best running backs in the NFL. Let's do that. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah, no, nah, <laughs> Chubb is a stud, man. And I, the comparisons, there's there aren't many. Um, when you're watching Chubb run, he, he breaks contact, but it's him like avoiding at the same time. You guys aren't, he's not getting square shots. Whereas I mentioned, uh, Williams is running full speed into you. Like he wants that contact. Chubb doesn't look for contact. He doesn't seek out contact. So uh, there's a big difference there. Um, that I think people would respect Chubb more if they, if he just changed his face mask and helmet and, <laughs> and wore gloves. And cause right now he's look, he's looking fresh out the pack and that, that tends to knock a running back status down. <laughs> Uh, oh, you know that's what that's what people don't talk about Thurman Thomas. He had the the, the four bar, you know the you know the rosary face mask. Like, bro, you got to get rid of that. You know that Barry Sanders made his living based off the shield, and uh, yeah, he had the skills. But I mean, he looked like a running back. And Chubb right now, he needs a makeover. That's perfect. That is a perfect way to end it for us talking about the best running back, arguably the best running back in the NFL. Emery, I want to thank you for joining us. Do you want to plug anything that you are working on that you have coming up? Sure. We uh, uh, we have our draft grade, grades coming out on our YouTube channel. And always, you can still order your copy of our draft guide. I printed mine out. Um, so everything has, uh, you know, you have 250-some people get drafted. So obviously this thing has over 600 prospects. So you're going to know about these undrafted rookie free agents um, that are going to come into your offense and your defense. And uh, we know the rosters are transient during preseason and training camp. So Stay on point with who's coming in and who's going out. We got scouting reports on everybody at footballgameplan.com slash 2021 draft guy. You find a great scouting report on uh, the best back that the 49ers drafted in Elijah oh, Mitchell from Homer. Louisiana. Should do a great job out there uh, with the 49ers. But that's what we have going on, and um, that's pretty much it. So be on the lookout for, for our draft grades that are on our YouTube channel as well. Kate, what do you got going on? Uh, yeah, so you can catch all of my, most of my work at DraftKings Nation, working there as our editorial coordinator for all kinds of stuff. We just had a, a ton of content coming out for the schedule release, uh, and we're just going to keep pumping out content. 
until we have something uh, actually palpable to talk about. Um, and also check out ballblastfootball.com, which is uh, my my little home site where I talk about Zach Moss as much as I feel like it because I'm the boss. <laughs> Love it. Uh, you can find my work at NinersNation.com where I will be talking about Elijah Mitchell, who chose the number 49. So, yes, I'm going to be talking no. about him, but not no. Don't that tell me that. Yes. You have, he has no path to success now. He did this to himself. Um, please, as always, rate, subscribe, review, leave us a five-star rating wherever it is you get your podcast. Thank you, gentle listeners.